If you would turn in your Bible to John's Gospel, John chapter 21. Uh, as you're turning there, I want you to simply note this uh, very simple but important fact, and that is John's Gospel is 21 chapters. So you're turning to the last chapter of John's Gospel. In chapters 1 through 20, John has already recorded the life and the ministry of Christ, including his death and his resurrection. So that when you come to chapter 21, the resurrection of Christ has already occurred historically. It's recorded at the beginning of chapter 20. It's already happened. Not only has Jesus been raised when you come to chapter 21, but if you look at the end of chapter 20... John tells us the very singular purpose for which he has written his gospel. And he says this in chapter 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Given the crucifixion and the resurrection. And now here at the end of chapter 20, this call to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, it seems an appropriate place to end the gospel. What more is there to say? But here John has tacked on a 21st chapter. And in the opening verses of chapter 21, which focus, as we will see, on an all-night fishing trip by a portion, seven uh, of the band of apostles, John has provided not only an epilogue, a kind of conclusion to his gospel, but it seems among some that he has provided in a kind of profound way uh, a living parable. That is, this is a story in chapter 21 that is true, it is historical, but it's one that's going to serve as a kind of paradigm, maybe even a, a living parable for how the risen Christ is going to continue to relate and minister to his, to his church on, on the earth below. Now, the disciples likely had no idea they were going to be living out this kind of parable or paradigm, but one of the primary ways they would have eventually learned this is that a nearly identical incident to the one we're going to read in chapter 21 already occurred in their lives toward the beginning of their ministry. It, too, was an all-night fishing trip. And it, too, uh, included this miracle by Jesus. That is recorded in Luke chapter 5. And there, it is symbolic. At the end of their fishing experience in Luke 5, Jesus says to them, Now you follow me, for from now on you will be catching men. Here, they experience this great catch of fish, and now Jesus symbolically says, now you're going to be catching men. This is what he said at the beginning of their ministry. And here in John 21, it's essentially what he is going to say to them at the end. The parallels of these two stories are very clear. It's the same Sea of Galilee, same surrounding mountains and landscapes, same participants, possibly the same boat. In both instances, they're up all night and they catch nothing. In both cases, Jesus tells them to cast their net another time, and in both, this great miracle takes place. 
And so as the disciples reflected on this, they would have understood this is a picture of how the risen Lord is going to care for his church as they as the disciples labor on the seas of life and faith and ministry. And so the Lord has provided this for us, for the church's comfort and encouragement uh, as we are ministered to by the Lord, the risen Lord himself. So John 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want us to see just two main themes in these 14 verses. One is the clear failure and letdown that the disciples experience as they labor through the night and on the sea as really a picture of uh, us, uh, a picture of the church's ongoing struggle here on earth the earth, and two, how the risen Lord continues to minister and relate to his church here on earth below. The opening verses paint just a beautiful uh, picture for us. You have the Lord in verse 4 standing on the shore. The sand is beneath his his feet. He's standing firmly. Uh, The day is just breaking. Sun is coming up, ever-increasing light. Uh, What a beautiful picture. Um, And even the night before, when the disciples set out to go fishing, uh, they are living in the aftermath now of of the resurrection, the triumph and the victory of the resurrection. Uh, The events of Passover, weeks prior, are now over. The Lord's excruciating suffering, his, His crying out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
his final breath, his shed blood. It's now past. He has risen and he's appeared to his disciples twice already in John's gospel. One in the upper room uh, and then later to Thomas, doubting Thomas. And uh, Jesus said, look at my hands, my, the nail marks, and, and touch my side. Don't disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. And Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. They must have been filled with feelings, deep feelings of vindication and joy at this point. And as they made their way back from Jerusalem to Galilee, those 70, 80 miles, surely their thoughts would have been filled and centered on Jesus himself. When will he appear again and reveal himself? What is he going to say? What's he going to teach us? How is he going to lead and guide us? And then after mentioning the seven disciples in the opening verse, uh, the attention centers on Peter in verse 3. And we know Peter was capable of many things. Uh, But one thing he was not capable of was sitting still. And so he says, I'm going fishing. Now we might wonder, why are they fishing? Jesus had already commissioned them, but disciples have to eat as well. So they go fishing, and the other disciples say, we will go with you. It was evening, we're told. This is the best time for fishing. And what a night uh, that would have been. Joy in light of the resurrection. Uh, The the moonlight over the sea, the stars above. The the sea is seemingly calm. The camaraderie among the disciples. All is good, except one thing. They catch nothing. Nothing. It's central to the whole story. Here they are catching nothing post the resurrection. And I don't know how many of you are fishermen. How many of you would consider yourselves avid fishermen? Anybody willing? Okay, got a few. How many of you have ever gone fishing? Now, how many of you have ever gone fishing and come back with nothing? Yeah, okay. It's a common experience. That's my normal experience. Now, for you and I, that may not seem very significant or surprising. Maybe we're not expecting a lot from ourselves. But for Peter and James and John, this is what they did. They were fishermen, the the Gospels tell us. It was their trade. They knew the technique, the time of day. They had the skill. They knew when fish rise, how to cast the net. And they, there they were, out, hour after hour, all through the night. And the text in verse 3 tells us, with emphasis, they caught nothing. And it's an important part of the paradigm here about ministry and the life of faith. Because to varying degrees, that sense of failure or letdown or emptiness, which the disciples have experienced here is something every person on the sea of life and faith experiences where you're laboring and you're laboring in life and in faith yet you may be feeling failure emptiness catching nothing I'm laboring but it doesn't seem to be adding up and you may be feeling that here this morning in your life. Trying to reconcile the reality of the risen Lord 
with the letdowns of life. But there's more to this word, nothing, because it's the same word Jesus used very importantly and powerfully just weeks prior in the farewell discourse in John 15 when he gave the image of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. Well, people can do perhaps many things, but Jesus' image here is conveying that spiritually, as it pertains to his kingdom and his purposes, apart from him, life in him and dependence on him, you can do nothing. And here they are, they catch nothing. But again, it's not just emptiness and ineffectiveness, which is the result of life apart from Christ. This is a story in part about the mission to which Jesus has called his disciples. Remember, it's not the first time that the disciples have experienced this nothing catch. And when it occurred before in Luke chapter 5, Jesus provided a miraculous catch like here, and he used it symbolically. He said, now I will make you effective in catching men. So John's story here is a true story but it's one that is teaching of the calling we have to the greater mission of the Lord Jesus. Just in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, verse 21, the first time Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, he says to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Indeed, this day is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but it is also about the mission to which Jesus has called his church. And that's a great truth in Scripture that we have been called to something greater than ourselves. Praise the Lord. For we are surrounded by a society and culture in which the self is the ultimate end. Calling to Jesus, to his mission and kingdom, effectiveness in Jesus' mission, is often preceded by something. And it's a surprise. It's often preceded by failure. Listen to these words from one commentator. He said, The initial condition for the Lord's self-revelation, his presence, is quite often, as here, not well-prepared disciples. It is surprise Failure, catching nothing. Failure is a wonderful backdrop for grace and for Jesus' self-revelation. Isn't it true that failure is sometimes good for us? John sees Jesus revealing himself first and most impressively of all to failing, not to succeeding disciples. And it is true. A life of faith that is often in the midst of our letdowns, various failures and sins that Christ makes his power and his grace and his presence powerfully manifest. And then we come to this stranger on the shore. How it is that Jesus himself uh, continues to to minister to his church below. In verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. We're told he was a hundred yards off. It's a good ways. Standing on the shore. He's looking upon his disciples, upon his church. 
And this is a wonderful picture. Here, Jesus watching, attentive to his people, even though his own may not be aware of his presence or his care, his eye is upon his people. And he calls out, children, young men, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? I think Jesus knows. Certainly in his divine nature, he knows. But he's essentially asking, how's it going? How are you doing? This is the first of several words in this narrative that Jesus speaks, each of which has significant meaning. And each of them, we see how it is that the risen Lord continues to minister to his people on earth. He encourages, he comforts, he ministers to them through his living word. And this first word that he speaks is a word of empathy. Have you caught anything? How is life going for you? Are things adding up? Now, if you're a non-fisherman like me, and you know little to nothing about fishing, you don't mind being asked the question, have you caught anything? You weren't necessarily expecting much from yourself anyway. But if it's your work, your skill, your livelihood, and you've caught nothing, you probably don't like the question, have you caught anything? And they give a sharp reply, very simple, no. And they don't know who it is that's speaking to them still. And so this stranger on the shore says, we'll cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And they do it. They cast it. Now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And there's an important point here. If we want to live in light of the risen Lord and his presence, we must respond to his word. We must respond in obedience to his counsel, to his word, to his help. It's in the failure of the disciples. Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side. Well, this was a labor-intensive effort, moving those heavily lead-weighted nets. This is not a fishing line from one side of the boat to the other. They've been at it all night long. They've caught nothing. Yet we see the disciples. They don't question it for a moment. This man speaks from the shore, and they simply respond to his word. It's almost as if John wants us to see how the power of the word of Jesus produces life, produces obedience in his people. This is the one who, in the beginning, said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the one who said, peace be still to the raging storm, and it was calm. This is the one from whom on the cross he says to every believer, your sins are forgiven. Words have power. And when they heard his word and experienced this great catch, John, most likely John, said, it is the Lord. And Peter too, believing it is the Lord, he throws himself into the sea, swims to shore, the others rowing and dragging the net full of fish. And then they came ashore. And verse 9 says, They got out on land. They saw a charcoal fire in place. Fish laid on it and bread. And he says, Come. Come. 
have breakfast. And he took the bread and he gave it to them. Here is a scene in which John is communicating Jesus' desire to fellowship, to commune, to be with his disciples. We see very powerfully the ministry of Christ's word through the narrative. Now we see that other all-important way that our Lord continues to minister to his people on earth through a meal, feeding them, his communing presence with him. He continues as the risen Lord to minister to us through his word. He speaks to us and through communing with us through his supper, the Lord's supper, and by his spirit. Uh, this is one of the reasons the, some of the reformers like Luther and Calvin emphasize so much those two pieces of furniture in the sanctuary, the pulpit from where we hear the word of Christ and the Lord's table where we feast together and commune with him as the people of God. His word to us and his presence with us. And we see the interest of our Savior and his people, not only in desiring to serve them, but then he invites them to bring what they have. It's a bit interesting. He says, now bring some of the fish that you have just caught. We might wonder that they caught. This is what the Lord has provided. He could have said, bring some of the fish that I just caught through you. But I think our Lord here is expressing his interest not only in gifting to us good things, but using what we have and who we are for his glorious purposes. So he says, come, bring what you have. Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. As the risen Lord, I'm calling you to a glorious mission to make known the word of my cross and the hope of my resurrection, to be catching of others. And that kind of life begins again and again by Christ catching us first. Has he caught you? This whole story, his words spoken to the disciples, a meal shared with his disciples, this is to a particular group of people. We might say a, a peculiar people, but it is to a particular people. The only ones here who hear and respond to his word are those who are in the boat. They are the ones to whom he speaks. And uh, we should ask ourselves this morning, am I in the boat? Am I among the people of God? Do I hear his word in my life? And the only ones who share the meal are those who have come ashore and are in and with Christ. I love that hymn, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. It says, Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Why, O oh Lord, did you call me? Why would you invite me? Why would you take an interest in me, Lord? And yet in you, Lord, is home forevermore. May we know not only the power of the risen Lord and fellowship 
in communion with him in his abiding presence. But the glorious calling that the Lord has called us to, to serve him and his kingdom, this one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together. Father, how we praise you as indeed the risen Lord, the one who reigns supreme over all the nations, over all of life, over all of creation. And yet, even in your sovereignty, you come imminently and intimately, personally, to draw and call people to yourself. You speak your word of power and of grace to the lives of your people, redeeming them from darkness and from sin, to be reconciled to you, and, and even closer you draw us to have communion and fellowship with you. Oh Lord, would you um, both remind us and empower and strengthen us again this day uh, to live in light of uh, the resurrection of Christ um, and to have confidence, Lord, in you who continue to minister to us as your people. May we have eyes fixed upon you as risen Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.